This episode of UK Low Carb Podcast is sponsored by Deliciously Guilt Free. Enjoy the show. I am so delighted that I get to welcome back my good friend Pauline Cox back to UK Low Carb. And we now have a weekly series called The Pillars of Health. Each week, Pauline will dispel the misconception that if we eat well, then we're healthy. We'll explore together bad lifestyle habits, the stresses of life, poor sleep, lack of exercise, sedentary lifestyle, poor gut health, and poor liver function, and see how these can cause chronic illness and fatigue. The pillars of health are those key areas that we can take control over to live a happier and healthier life. And if you would like to engage in this conversations we go through each week than you made through our Facebook group, UK Low Carb. Now over to Pauline to tell us more. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the second part in my amazing series of my good friend, Pauline Cox. Welcome to the show, Pauline. Hi, Dan. It's wonderful to have you here. And um, I think last week was so special that, you know, you really did break down, I think, so clearly and precisely. In fact, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been a teacher before? Because <laughs> you are a very natural teacher. I mean, I know you're a teacher now, what you're doing is a tr- as you're coaching. But, you know, I, I think if I just sat you in front of an A-level class, they would just understood that perfectly. So I don't let you answer yet. Have you been a teacher? Sorry. <laughs> I've never been a teacher. No, no I have. But I do love taking quite complex subjects and breaking them down into really easy to understand bite-sized chunks. Because I feel that's the way that people can access this information and really use it for their benefit. So it is totally something agree. I really enjoy totally doing. And you know what? There's no, there's no greater gift, actually, than you can give to somebody than them understanding themselves. And that could be in so many different ways. But when it comes to their physiology and how their body works, I think that is a great gift. So um, so let's carry on with that story. So we, we've talked about the the fuel type that we have. And we, we did sort of finish last week talking about ketones and glycogen and, and what's going inside uh, the mitochondria and, and the cell level. But then yes. you did say that you were going to talk about gut health. And it's something that yeah. I really want to know a lot about. And when Graham Phillips came onto the show previously, I know that there was a lot of conversation on the uh, UK Low Carb Facebook group about gut health, because it's probably one of those topics that a lot of us want to know more about as well. So yeah. um, so where do you start with regards to such a, a huge topic? <laughs> it is a huge topic. You're right. I think what's really interesting to start talking about is acknowledging that there are a huge range of symptoms that we can experience that some people might associate with gut health and and they seem really obvious like diarrhea or constipation, bloating, which a huge amount of people suffer from bloating, um, cramps, stomach cramps. But then there are also this huge range of symptoms that we don't associate with gut health, like migraines, anxiety, depression, joint pain, swelling, skin issues, or there are, I mean, I, the list goes on. There are so many um, conditions and symptoms that we can link back to the gut. So, you know, there's a very famous saying that the gut is the gateway to great health. And it truly is, actually. And the microbiome is really the gateway to your immune system. So we want to all be hugely fascinated by our microbiome, our gut health, because it has the capacity to transform not just our health, but our experience of day-to-day living. 
Wow. Well, I looked up a little fact because I remember hearing once that if we ever met life from uh, outside our own planet and it ever came to see us, you know, the idea that it would just meet us as a human being and you as an individual and me as an individual, in actual fact, we are like a zoo, a menagerie of bacteria. And I've just looked up the fact to see how many bacteria there are. Now, according (laughs) to this website here, which is NIH.gov, it's got a gov in it, so it must be fine. It reckons apparently there there are 10 to 1 um microorganisms come to cells so for every yeah. one human cell there are 10 microorganisms so in actual fact you know we are this huge city of life that's we all are. functioning and yet we sort of we forget that don't we we think of well i'm just yes. me and i put whatever i put in my face and and it will just make me have you know a, a healthy body and i don't think about how does it feed all these microorganisms that are in us that we have a symbiotic yeah. relationship with and when you think in that way yeah. you think whoa, that's quite a different perspective to have suddenly. Absolutely. And and I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dan, when you said a symbiotic relationship, because we should live in harmony with this this wonderful um, range of bacteria, fungi and yeast that live on us and within us. You know, we we, we have microbiomes and and this climate, this microclimate of bacteria in various areas of the body. And we literally are... The puppet and they are the puppet master you know they they exert a great deal of will over our food choices how we feel they have a huge influence on our experience of day-to-day life and so we want to get very curious about this this life we host within us and how we can support it and also what are some of the things that we're doing that are damaging this amazing environment and causing this huge increase in chronic illness and how it's directly related to this disruption in our microbiome. Okay, so let's do the journey of um, a lamb chop, okay? So (laughs) (laughs) that's one of my favourite foods, so that's what I'm going to eat, a lamb chop. Um, And by the way, I don't know if you're the same as me, but when I was growing up, I used to eat the fat off the chop and then feel guilty because I'd be told it's bad for me and I shouldn't eat that part, that's the worst bit. In fact, somebody in uh, my extended family said, fat is toxic for your body and it will kill you so i was like oh okay so i was really worried about eating it but anyway sorry i'm getting distracted by lamb as they were eating a pasty Um, (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly as we're eating a healthy bowl of fibrous cereal um with sugar so you know so i would let's talk about the lamb chop and let's talk about the the how does that lamb chop go through the gut the process if you don't mind breaking that down for me yeah um, i think that's a good way to coming to the microbiome right absolutely so you know we have this wonderful system. It's an enclosed uh, and a protected enclosed system that works incredibly well when it works. So we take our lamb chop into the mouth. It goes, we have a a, Pavlov's dog here. I am actually like salivating. (laughs) This is embarrassing. Okay. There's no bells needed, is there? Just say lamb chop. Time to break the fast. I'm going to go. You you just carry on talking. I'm going to go eat. See you later. (laughs) Sorry, Polly. So we're dunking the lamb chop into our avocado mayonnaise and chowing down on it. (sighs) So first of all, we have a a bit of chili, a a bit of lime. Wonderful. um, We have all of this bacteria in our mouth also, which is really key because the bacteria in our mouth affects the bacteria in our gut. So oral health is incredibly important, but that's a topic in itself, really. So we always want to ensure that we have great oral health. By the way, don't use traditional mouthwashes. They destroy your oral bacteria in your mouth. You're so right. So I was using mouthwash around the time I got married. I thought I'd be sophisticated to try and impress Besma because I thought, you know, mouthwash is what you do when you're an adult now. I'm in my 30s, whatever. So yeah. I started 
using mouthwash. Then the dentist said, your teeth are getting stained. They're using mouthwash. And I said, yeah, she said, don't do it. It's really stained yeah. your teeth. And I was like, really? She said, it's terrible for your mouth. Never use mouthwash. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize I got taken in by the advertisers. Good dentist. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure, and I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Listerine started off as a floor mm. wash. It so, did indeed, yeah. And it's named yeah. after Joseph Lister, the surgeon who invented um, a, um, antiseptic surgery. So it was actually a, um, yeah, an antiseptic wasn't meant for the mouth at all. It was meant for cleaning floors. <laughs> just rebranded yeah. it for mouthwash. So we really <laughs> want to be concerned about the bacteria within our mouth that we're cleaning, but cleaning appropriately. And then chewing. So slow down and chew your food. So you're really breaking it down. We swallow, we get to go down this nice muscular tube and takes us to the stomach, which is a pretty impressive organ. It's this large balloon-shaped muscular sac that has a mucosal membrane, a nice thick mucous membrane to house this very, very acidic environment. Now, this acidic environment should be between pH about one and three. And if you cast your mind back to school, that's really, really acidic on the, um, the, the sort of scale of acidity where zero, seven and 14 is alkaline. And it's essentially right. acidic enough to dissolve a razor blade. Not that we're ever going to swallow a razor wow, blade. Wow, that's, that's strong. How wow. acidic it is. It's incredibly acidic. Now, we need that acidity. There are reasons we have this acidic environment. It's firstly to kill off any invading bacteria. It's a really great line of defense for anything coming into the body. I mean, if you think about it, we're constantly breathing. Well, we should be nasally breathing, but when we talk and inhale through our mouth, bacteria is coming into our, directly into our lungs, but also down into our stomach. We're swallowing foods that have toxins and pathogens. So this acidic environment is able to kill off anything that could potentially invade our gastrointestinal tract and cause problems. Secondly, we need this acidity to break down that lamb chop. So a lamb mm -hmm. chop or any complex protein is, is really quite a solid food source. Even though we've chewed it up, we want to break it down into its constituent amino acids. Yeah. And these amino acids are really important for building our muscle, skin, hair, bones, nails, neurotransmitters. We need these amino acids for pretty much everything in the body. So breaking that protein down requires a very acidic environment. And then as we referred to in the last episode, Dan, we need a very acidic environment in order to access key nutrients like iron and magnesium and zinc. And if we're lacking in acidity, our body can't absorb these key nutrients, these key minerals. And then we start to get these secondary symptoms like anemia or, you know, the magnesium has a huge range, over 300 um, enzymatic activities in the body. So that you start to get these very quirky symptoms like anemia, uh, anemia or poor skin healing, um, brittle nails, thinning hair. And it's all related to the fact that your body isn't able to access the amino acids it needs or the nutrients it needs because your gut acidity has changed. So, so it's just passing through you without you being able to draw what you need from it. Yeah. And if you have wow. any kind of um, intestinal <clears throat> permeability or hyperpermeability, i.e. leaky gut, then those undigested food particles can actually enter into your bloodstream and trigger um, a reaction in your immune system. So it can lead to all sorts of things like food sensitivity. Oh, that's what leaky and, gut is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. So hang on. I just want to just... Um, okay. I'm going to take on the vegan community here slightly. <laughs> so brace yourself, everyone. Um, 
Would you say evolutionary wise, um, do we have the kind of the stomach we'll start with? We don't talk about the rest of the microbiome, but do we seem to have the stomach of some of a, of a species as evolved to eat meat then? Or, you know, is this comparable to ruminant animals or is it comparable more to, you know, lions and tigers and things? Yeah. I mean, predators? Is it's it a really great question to? because, you know, there's there are <clears throat> tribes of individuals who live incredibly long and healthy lives who are vegetarian there are those tribes who live on whale blubber and then mm. you know wild boar i think we're very adaptive as a species dan and we adapt to our environment and we have the capacity to use meat for fuel as well as plant-based and um, eggs and dairy so i think it's actually more our body's ability to adapt to a diet that is congruent still with our physiology that makes us such an incredible species. So, you know, you can have a perfectly healthy vegetarian diet. I would say that vegan is a little bit more challenging as, unless you're consciously ensuring you're getting some of those other nutrients that you won't get primarily from a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, are we compatible with meat eating? Yes, we are. Are we also compatible with um, plant-based eating? Yes, we are, because that plant-based, the cellulose cell wall of plants needs a very acidic environment to access, for example, the iron in spinach. It's much right. easier for us to absorb the heme iron, the heme, the iron in meat than it is mm -hmm. to absorb the iron in spinach by right. about 20-25% more bioavailable in meat. So you need a very acidic stomach if you're vegan or vegetarian, and that's your primary source of iron, i.e. spinach nice. and kale and these green plants. So we are very well set up. Our digestive system's kind of covered all basis as we are with yeah. the dual, dual fuel burning situation. It's, it's sort of covered all basis to make sure we can absorb and digest meats well and the same with plant-based food. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Okay, then. So let's let's carry on the journey then through my gut. So uh, I'm digesting nicely now this uh, this lamb chop. So <laughs> let's go to kind of from the stomach. Where are we going next and what's happening? Sure. So we have this nice, <clears throat> let's assume we have great stomach acidity that we, you know, just on a point there, the things that affect our stomach acidity, things like stress, overly processed food, Certain medications like the contraceptive pill or proton pump inhibitors, um, over-the-counter antacids, there are these key things that can affect our stress. And as we age as well, we tend to have less acidity in our stomach. But we're going to take a very healthy individual and, and they have great stomach acidity. So this food's been broken down. We have this soupy substance called chyme, and that's now going to enter into our, well, via the duodenum and into the small intestine. And in theory, this is all going really nice and well. We have, um, we're coming across a whole range of our gut microbes. Now, this is where the gut microbes have a field day. We're feeding our gut microbiome at this stage, or we could be damaging it. And it's what we're eating, as well as those other lifestyle factors, that has a really big impact on this community of bacteria within our gastrointestinal tract. And the foods that we eat can either be supporting and feeding them, or we can be introducing bacteria through our diet, like fermented foods and probiotics, to help colonize and then support the colonies of bacteria that we're seeing and, and sort of cultivating in those areas. 
Wow. So my mum is a midwife or retired midwife now. And uh, I remember when we first had my daughter, who's now six in a couple of weeks, um, best was breastfeeding her. And my mum said, did you know that I think it's about 80% of the breast milk can't be digested by a human being? And so they used to look into this saying, like, what is this? Why Why then has nature made it that we've got this uh, 80% of this breast milk that is not actually good for the human being at all? They actually learned it was completely feeding their microbiome of the baby. <laughs> and so actually, it's it, which is incredible. When you think that, that's mind-blowing, yeah. that actually we've evolved to feed the microbiome because we know yes. that is a central part of us, although it's actually another life species, which is incredible to think of. Um, and so it's actually feeding the microbiome to make that healthier, which yes. directly relates to immune system, to our health generally. Everything else comes from the fact we're feeding the microbiome, which was mind blowing to me, <clears throat> which, you know, it's incredible you think that. Yes. And the, I think what we need to start recognizing is that the microbiome is a sort of a go between. So mm -hmm. when the microbiome comes across, you know, a fibrous food it will use that to produce something else so it it breaks down food and it will produce short chain fatty acids for short chain fatty acids for example and these short chain fatty acids feed the colonocytes so the cells that that line the colon and it will take other um foods that we eat and they produce bioactive compounds that directly communicate and interact with various systems in our body so right. they're taking our food and making really potent products and bioactive compounds that have a huge impact on our health of certain specific tissues and systems. And then generally, um, I mean, you know, a lot of people understand there's this gut brain um, connection and communication, mm -hmm. and it's still not hugely understood. I mean, there's vast amounts of research going on, but the the capacity that the gut has and the influence the gut has on our health and our mental health as well is, you know, we, we, I think we're just literally scratching the surface when it comes to understanding the link that the gut has with all systems of the body. Amazing. So in that case, if I'm trying to feed my, my gut, um, you know, to make it, make sure it's healthy and you said fermented yes. foods are a good thing. Um, it, fermented food goes, go back thousands of years, don't they? Humans have been eating this for a long, long time, fermented foods. Um, so is that basically introducing new bacteria to my gut, which might be good in its own sense? Or is it also the fact that because it's fermented, bacteria would kind of like to eat that food? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one thing to note <coughs> is if <clears throat> the gut, if you kind of think of the gut as, as like a nice free-flowing river, mm -hmm. and not a stagnant pond that has just bacteria growing in it, because Sometimes you can have a over-diversified, overpopulated gut microbiome, i.e. something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So there's just too much bacteria going on and we're feeding the, we're eating the wrong foods and bad bacteria and yeasts are growing. And then you start to get all sorts of problems from skin problems to fungal infections. And we want to make sure we're getting the right bacteria fed. And there mm -hmm. are certain strategies that we can use to try and kill off the, the bad bacteria and then repopulate and cultivate the good bacteria. Okay. So fermented foods is a fantastic way of helping to get the good bacteria, the good guys in there, and then to encourage its growth through lifestyle and other foods we're eating. Now, sauerkraut's particularly nice because sauerkraut has what's called probiotics, which are the bacteria, and prebiotics, which is the food the bacteria like to live on. So cabbage right. serves as the food that the bacteria will eat 
and it's it's a really beautiful and also sauerkraut has a very high level of lactic acid and lactic acid starts to help reacidify your stomach so you're getting acid for your stomach you're getting the prebiotics which is the food for the, the the bacteria and you're introducing the probiotics which is the actual bacteria itself so you get this amazing um three tick 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 when you when you take something like sauerkraut and you know if you have a little bit of daily fermented food or date something fermented every day like kvass or kimchi sauerkraut kefir there are so many different fermented products on the market mm. now that are very healthy and just make sure that when you're buying your sauerkraut you don't get it from the supermarket shelf it should always be found in the fridge because there are sauerkrauts you can oh. find in the supermarket that are pasteurized so essentially you're just eating cabbage there's no bacteria in there oh because they've all been wiped out then yeah okay yeah so just talking on that point about food then so you know the way that we treat our field system in this country and you know, around the western world we yeah. have pesticides wiping out all the insects to keep the you know the, the crops nice and healthy um is it a bit sort of comparable to that with the preservatives yes. that are in some foods on our microbiome so when we're eating them effectively we've got a massive amount of chemicals going through our guts and yes. and of course that is killing off the microbiome is, is that how it works it is, but it's not just that, Dan. It actually goes a lot deeper than that in that right. the, the soils that are heavily um, treated, we need these this rich soil full of bacteria that mm. has an impact on the, the plant itself and then the bacteria on the plant. So, you know, there's a lot of studies that will say organic vegetables are comparable to non-organic. You get the exact same amount of you know, I don't know, um, fiber in one versus the other or the same amount of protein in one um, product versus the other. When you look at the micronutrient levels, when you look at the bacterial profile, they are very different. Mm. So we need healthy soil. You know, we are just an extension of the external environment. And by yeah. destroying the bacteria within the soil and really having that negative impact on our agricultural system, it has a very negative impact on our internal environment as well, as well as our nutrient absorption of these very devoid um, foods, the, the lack of vitamin C or the comparable levels of vitamin C and iodine and selenium and these nutrients that we would have found historically in high levels in, in plants and soils are now just being depleted and it is having an impact on our nutrient density and our gut environment. You know what? I completely, I can visually see that in another way, and I completely agree with you there. I feel like, as a human species, we're like on the top of this big tree of life, and we're at the top branch, looking at the sky, going, "Oh my goodness, aren't we amazing? Aren't we part of the heavens?" And actually forgetting we're actually connected to the earth. Yeah. And I feel like we're almost like cutting the branch behind us sometimes, thinking we can do whatever we want with our environment, we can do whatever we want with our bodies and our health and our nutrition, and. We're somehow above all of that now. We don't have to worry about it, but actually we are directly related to it. And our, if we yeah. don't get our relationship correct with ourselves and the way we eat, but also with how we farm and the way we treat our planet, I think it all goes hand in hand. I think there's a whole there's a whole thing about philosophy about how to live a better life in the planet you're actually evolved to be in and to give yeah. back to it, not just to keep taking from it. And I think we've, we've got to learn that as a species, how, you know, the, the life of my gut is linked to the life in the fields and the life. It's just, it's all connected, isn't it? It's all evolved together for that very reason. Completely. Hasn't it? We, we seem to have made um, bacteria our enemy and it has an impact on, you know, on our, on, on us. So we sanitize 
our environment extensively. We live yep. in a very um, restricted environment. environment. Yeah. You know, we live in, we work in boxes with artificial light and we tend to keep our windows closed. There are some simple things, you know, we can do to just improve our gut health, believe it or not, but improve our microbiome by just breathing fresh air. Going really? for a walk, lying oh. on the grass, going swimming in the lake. You know, there are beneficial bacteria and viruses in the in the water, in the air around you, even having a pet in the house. Individuals with pets at home have a, a greater diversity in their microbiome than those who don't. People I didn't get out know that. Wow. Gardeners, people who spend time, you know, gardening and planting their own foods. It's this exposure to um, microbes and bacteria within the air, within the soil, within the grass, within the waters, outside, just having the windows <laughs> open so you're getting fresh air. These are all very, very simple ways of ensuring uh, and going for a walk, you know, going for a daily walk. Not only is the act of the exercise having an impact on your gut health, your gut microbiome, but the actual air that you're breathing and the wind, you know, you're, you're taking in your environment when you interact with mm. your environment. And of course, things like vitamin D, I know it's a different topic, but, you know, all those things would be healthier if you just got sunlight compared to having to take tablets. Now, I appreciate some people would have to take tablets for other reasons, but, you know, just be part of your environment. It's part of health, yeah. isn't it? It's how, it's how humans have been for millions of years. Yeah. Um, but let's take that further then. So I, I think this is lovely. So now we're going to we're going to kind of come to the part where you kind of give your tips and, and you know, your advice, really. So people listening now, somebody who, you know, this is for me, actually, more than anyone else. I want to know this too. What can I do to improve and give myself the best shot of having a healthy microbiome? Well, there are some lifestyle tips as well as nutritional. I think we'll start with nutritional. Mm -hmm. And we want to really ensure we're not adding in foods and items into our gut that are damaging our microbiome. Okay. Now, sometimes antibiotics are necessary, but they do wipe out your microbiome. So, you know, it might be addressing certain medications that are having an impact, NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, um, proton pump inhibitors, because again, as you change your stomach acidity, it's going to change the bacterial profile. It allow um, things like C. difficile um, infections, which is one of the most common gut infections to proliferate. Right. So we really want to make sure that if we're taking medication, and I'm not suggesting that we don't, you know, this is for informational purposes only, it's not medical advice, it's important to recognize, well, why am I taking that proton pump inhibitor or antacid? Is my diet driving it? Am I lacking stomach acidity? So I'm getting this heartburn and it's creeping up. Mm -hmm. So looking at what you're currently eating, processed foods. I mean, processed foods are very damaging to our gut health, the microbiome, as well as perpetuating cravings because it interacts with the neurons that go from your stomach straight up to your brain. And these neurons that are there to tell the brain, I'm satiated, I've had enough, I don't need any more, become damaged by emulsifiers and these processed comp compounds found within processed foods. So that trigger's now gone. So you become mm -hmm. this overeater, this compulsive eater, craving more of the foods that are just really damaging the insides and, and our health. So removing processed foods, removing inflammatory foods, removing certain things that trigger food sensitivities or certainly trigger leaky gut. And for me, that would be gluten. You know, that might not be for everyone. However, gluten has an impact on the intestinal lining that upsets the, the 
tight junctions within that very, very delicate um, gut lining that allows foods to start to pass through into the bloodstream and it can oh, it can cause all sorts of problems, systemic inflammation, mm. autoimmune conditions. So you might want to look at removing gluten if that is appropriate for you. It certainly would be on my recommendations. Gluten, processed foods, and the in you know the reducing the toxins that you're taking in your diet so additives preservatives and then potentially addressing your medications as well then we want to be adding so adding in the foods that are feeding your microbiome your microbiome loves fiber rich foods it loves colorful foods so polyphenols are amazing for helping the good gut bacteria to flourish and there are certain key um bacteria that have been identified as being really important for certain jobs, like helping to heal the um, the intestinal lining by producing um, like a mucus lining, and mm. when that that bacteria is absent, it can really perpetuate leaky gut. Um, certain bacteria are really important for breaking down fats and for processing those fats. And when those bacteria are absent, we become um, more of a, an obese microbiome and a, a, the profile of an individual, the microbiome of an in individual who is overweight versus someone who is slim, healthily slim and, and you know overweight due to dietary um, choices their microbiomes are very different. And there's been some incredibly interesting research where you take the microbiome of an overweight mouse and you, you transplant it into that of a slim mouse, change nothing else. You don't change the diet. And within days, the slim mouse has gained significant amounts of I've, weight. I've heard this. Now, isn't there the story of the, the lady who had to have, I, I really apologize, listeners. I'm not I'm obviously a lay person in this uh, in this area, um, but she had a, a pooectomy, I guess. I don't know what you call it, a poo transfer between, for some reason, she had to have some of the microbiome taken from her daughter and given to her because of a bad yeah. infection she had. Her daughter was obese. The mother was very, very thin. Uh, after this transfer of the microbiome, the mother put on weight very rapidly, very quickly, without changing anything in her diet, because why would she? And it was yeah. very much linked to the, the microbiome that she yeah. had from her daughter, which... Wow, and mind blowing. Yeah, and, and that I think is why if people start to understand that, you know, obsessively running and mm. going to the gym four times a day to try and change your body composition is, you know, that's one option. However, you must address your gut issues because we need a healthy, flourishing gut microbiome to process, digest, break down fats. And, mm. you know, you, you have these obesogenic. Um, gut profiles and the absence of certain bacteria really indicates um, the profile of someone who is uh, having weight issues or resistant weight issues versus that of a slim individual and diversity as we mentioned earlier is very very important for all aspects of health and low diversity has been associated with really poor health outcomes. So we really want to be constantly looking at how we promote and improve healthy gut um, bacterial diversity. And that does come through eating a diet, a really varied diet as well. And this is slightly where I find I, I have a bit of a bugbear around people who who label keto as just high fat and, you know, just 
bacon and lard and, and you know just f- fatty foods we really don't want come to around make here sure this afternoon then you won't be impressed with my lunch <laughs> <laughs> carry on <laughs> but it is done it's so important that you get those plant-based fibrous foods and colorful food you know the polyphenols in brightly colored peppers and red tomatoes and um your brightly colored carrots and things i know p- there are individuals out there who might jump on and say well peppers aren't keto I don't care if they're labeled keto or not. Peppers are brightly colored and they for sure feature on my plate of food because their benefits to feeding our good gut bacteria are incredible. And, you know, these brightly colored vegetables will encourage particularly these um, bacteria that help with um, breaking down fats and healing the gut microbiome. Acromantia is that one particular bacteria that um, that will help with the permeability of the gut lining, and it's also very important for breaking down and processing fat. Okay, so I know it's maybe a hard question to answer. How long do you think it would take? Say, if, I'm going to talk about me, not anyone else. If I've got, like, for instance, a not healthy gut bacteria, um, how long are we talking for recovery? Do you think for a gut to kind of, well, not get to full health, but certainly be a lot yeah. better off than it is at the moment. Are we talking about a slow recovery or a quick recovery? Is it dependent on the lifespan of the, of the bacteria themselves? It's a good question. So if you're looking at leaky gut, leaky mm-hmm. gut can take, it depends on the individual. If you were to go on a, a gluten-free diet for 60 days, zero gluten, let's say, and, um, and then you noted all of these inflammatory conditions, your joints are improving and you're feeling great and your brain, your brain fog's cleared and clarity of thoughts back. Um, that's a really nice test for a, a gluten intolerance. Now, that could indicate if, if things start to really improve, that could in- indicate that your gut lining is really healing and improving. And we'll talk about the bacteria in a second. And that that's that lining, that gut lining, for some people can take 30, 40, 50, 60 days. For some, it can take up to 12 months. And that's why it's really important when you're changing your diet, if you're going gluten-free, don't do it for two months and go, oh, it didn't work for me. My joints still hurt or I still feel rubbish. I'm off. You know, really commit to making these changes as part of a lifestyle, not as a, as some people disparagingly say, oh, it's faddy. No, see it as a way of really starting to heal your internal environment and give it time. Particularly if it's been, if you've had really inflammatory conditions like severe skin issues or severe joint problems, give it that time. Now, when it comes to the microbiome, the bacteria, the bacteria, let's say we had some sauerkraut right now. I'm eating mm-hmm. my sauerkraut. In about 20 days, that bacteria will essentially be dead there and thereabouts. So we're wanting to replenish and constantly add bacteria and support our gut bacteria because it's it has quite a short turnaround. Right. You know, we're not right. you're not eating sauerkraut at the beginning of the month. You're like, tick, I'm done with my probiotics now. Seeded myself now for the year. That's me. Done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. in. It's done. It's so much better to to have this as a daily habit where you're you're really rotating your fermented foods as well. So you might have um, sauerkraut with some uh, garlic in it or some turmeric, some um, beetroot sauerkraut, the seaweed sauerkraut. There are so many varieties and I tend to have three or four varieties in my fridge and then I'll just rotate it depending on what I'm having for lunch that day. Um, I might mix it with some mayonnaise. If you're not wild about sauerkraut, mix it with a bit of avocado mayonnaise and make sort of like a fermented slaw. There are mm-hmm. lots of ways that you can use sauerkraut to just see it as a way of 
building up and recolonizing this amazing um, environment within your gut. Great. And and just the last thing I was going to ask then on that is it's not all nutrition, is it? As you said, it's no. environment, but also, and I know we're going to talk about this because this is probably for me, one of the biggest pillars that I've got to put up right again, because it's falling down all the time. And that's sleep and stress. I mean, yes. is it right to say that has a huge impact on the gut Massive. health as well? Massive stress, particularly. Well, actually saying that <clears> sleep <throat> as well, but stress. Yeah. Stress really stress, affects our it? gut sleep. acidity. So we lose stomach acidity when we become chronically stressed. Um, right. It then has an impact on our gut microbiome. We tend as well to make poor food choices when we're chronically stressed. Oh, yeah. So we crave carbs. We tend to eat more sugar. Yeah. We have this direct link from the gut to the brain by the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve tells the brain that we're eating sugar and it lights our brain up like a Christmas tree, releasing dopamine. It's hugely rewarding neurotransmitter. So when we're feeling a bit tired through lack of sleep or we're highly stressed, then we want something to pep us up and, and sugar tends to be uh, up there on the list of priorities for a lot of people. So that really has a negative impact on our gut and it feeds the bad bacteria. So they start to really thrive and it outcrowds the good gut bacteria. So the good and bad gut bacteria will, will love different um, foods or prebiotics the good gut bacteria love um, fiber and polyphenols from brightly colored vegetables. The bad bacteria love sugar and carbs and gluten and all the things, processed foods. And they also dislike intermittent fasting. So when you're fasting, oh. you're essentially killing off your bad bacteria as well. I didn't so it's know that. giving your wow. gut a really good reset. Amazing. I didn't know that. That's incredible. Well, there you go, everyone. That's uh, I think we've covered so much there. It's incredible. And I, I just think in 10 years' time, we'll do another episode and we'll realise there's like loads of new stuff that's been discovered all the time. It's just one of those real cutting-edge areas, isn't it, Pauline? Um, thank you so much for today. That's been really insightful. And if anyone wants to be part of the, uh, the conversation we're having around these topics, then you can go to the UK Low Carb Facebook group where Pauline is there and uh, be part of the conversation. But also, I was going to say, as we're going through these episodes, uh, what will happen is there'll be a, eventually a live session we'll do at the end uh, where then you can have, you know, ask Pauline a question if you like. So, you know, make some notes, note down things, write them in the group maybe, be part of the conversation to then also work towards the final Ask Me Anything series uh, with Pauline, which is a bit terrifying. I know, Pauline, what's anyone going to ask? But um, <laughs> they're all lovely people, so I'm sure it'll be a great question. Um, I just want to say as well, before I say goodbye to you today, uh, if you want to read more about this, there's a really good book that I recommend called Primal Living in the, in the Modern World uh, by Pauline Cox. So if you want to check that out, you can. Um, where's the best place to get this book from, Pauline? Um, you can get it on our website, which is So and Arrow, www.so and Arrow. So like bow and arrow with an S. And yep. um, also you can follow us on Instagram where we're constantly <clears throat> putting up links and things to various items and products we have going. So either the So and Arrow website or So and Arrow Instagram. Brilliant. So there you go. So there's the uh, book behind me. So you can see that. So check that out. Um, Pauline, thank you so much for today. I've learned a lot and my mind is just like bursting <laughs> with ideas now. So thank you for your time. I can't wait to get stuck into your sauerkraut. Can you, Dan? <laughs> well, the lamb chop as well. <laughs> That's coming first, I'm afraid. That's my priority. <laughs> well, awesome. have a great week. Okay. Thank you. And you too. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dan.